We have, for the last three weeks, been in a series on the book of Jonah and entitled the series overall, uh, A Reluctant Prophet, A Redeeming God, and first two weeks looked at some of Jonah's issues, and then last week looked at God and his redeeming values. But I guess I should dismiss the kids before I get into preaching. That would probably be good. So we're so glad for our children's ministry. So we're going to dismiss all the kids right now, and uh, then we will go into the word of the Lord. So today, our final, our final sermon on Jonah, and uh, at least as part of this series, this will be our final verse, our final sermon. And it is the last chapter of the book of Jonah. And we're going to read the whole chapter here and then look at how we can align ourselves and our hearts with the heart of God. Jonah chapter number 4, reading from the New American Standard today, verse number 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah. Let me just pause there. If you remember, the the last verse of chapter 3 was God relented and changed from wiping out the Ninevites. And Jonah, who wanted them to get wiped out, now says he's this. He is displeased and became angry because God doesn't kill the Ninevites. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it, where he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion? On Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. And so I want to preach for a little bit on alignment with the heart of God. Alignment with the heart of God. And I see that I put the wrong title up there, so I didn't get that changed. Normally in a church, you can blame the sound people or the AV people, but that's all my fault, so there we go. Well, I'm going to preach today, not about a redeeming God, but alignment with the heart of God. Now, I was raised in Louisiana. I was born in Mississippi, raised in Louisiana, and 
Uh, don't hold that against me, but I, I don't speak real good English. I, I, I slur my words together. I drop syllables. And as part of that culture, and, and I was around, I, I didn't, I lived in and around Baton Rouge, but never fully in the city. But I had a lot of friends that were in rural settings and rural areas, and they were frequently hunters. They liked to hunt, they liked to fish, they liked to do all kinds of outdoor things, and a number of them had hunting dogs. Anybody ever been around hunting dogs? A few people. Uh, my father-in-law used to have some, but I had, I had some friends that had these blue tick hounds. And, and I, actually, I looked up blue ticks last Blue tick hounds, they actually originated back around the time of George Washington when he was given some, some dogs by a French person, and they began to breed them and all of this. But one of the interesting things, at least about the blue tick hound dogs that I was around, and I don't know if this is true of all of them, they couldn't walk facing forward. They always would walk kind of on an angle, sideways, and I, I thought that was hilarious to watch this dog. They're facing this way, but they're, they're walking on an angle, and I'm like, why, why would they do that? It was always interesting to me, and then I, I, I noticed shortly after I first saw that, I, I noticed this, and, I, and I, I've seen it numerous times, vehicles going down the road on an angle. Anybody ever seen that? And, and it's usually trucks, mostly pickup trucks. I don't know why that is. Maybe there's something with the suspension, but, but the truck is going down the road, and it's, it's in its lane, but it's a little bit off-center. It's not quite lined up like it's supposed to be, and it's just something a little odd about that. Well, as I got older and then started figuring out that, you know, when you have a car and you have to get things in a proper alignment, that, that the wheels have to all be pointed the exact same way, and they, they have to be square with the frame of the vehicle. And if they're not squared up with the frame of the vehicle, and if they're not all perfectly in alignment, then your tires don't last as long, and you get cupping on one tire, and you may get bald spots on another tire. All of these things go awry when alignment is not like it's supposed to be. And if you were a mechanic, you could probably tell a lot more than that, but I had even heard this, I, and whenever we came here, I experienced it for the first time, probably, at least with my driving, that because of the portable situation that the church was in, we bought a three-quarter ton four-wheel drive truck to pull this 10,000-pound trailer, and it started having issues with the four-wheel drive. And, and what I discovered is this, is that if you're on dry ground and the four-wheel drive is engaged, you're on dry pavement, it just doesn't operate very good. Because the front wheels, if you're trying to turn, the front wheels are pulling to the left or to the right, and the rear wheels are pushing you forward, and you just kind of bounce along. The front tires will bounce on the dry pavement. So it's imperative that you have everything in a line and everything going the same direction. And so it is with us and the heart of God, that we have to be in alignment with the heart of God. And if we're out of alignment with the heart of God, guess what? It's not going to go very good for us. It's not that it's going to go bad for God because He can replace us in a moment, but it's going to go bad with us. There's an Old Testament story Maybe one of the other two stories in the Old Testament that are uh, the most miraculous as it relates to animals, and that is the story of the prophet Balaam. 
And if you, when I say Balaam, you would know that Balaam and his talking donkey. You've heard, you've heard the story. And, but the point I want to bring out about Balaam is this, is that Balaam is a prophet. And he is a prophet that talks to Yahweh. And if you read the biblical text in Numbers, he, he talks to Yahweh. And God actually talks to him and God works through him. And Balak hears about Israel and he knows that they're coming and he wants to get a word from God through Balaam against the people of Israel. So he goes, he sends, he sends people to Balaam and he says, the, the people say, Balak wants you to come and, he, and he's giving you this money, he'll give you all these riches if you will come and prophesy against the nation of Israel. So Balaam is like, man, that sounds like a good deal. Get a lot of money, I can do that. But God speaks to him and says, do not go. So Balaam says, I can't go. I can't do this. You asked me to do it, I can't do it. God's telling me not to go. So then God speaks to him later and he says, if they come back and ask you, then you can go, but you can only prophesy what I tell you. And so... The next morning, Balaam doesn't wait for them to come back and petition him. He just gets up, he saddles his donkey, and he's like, hey, I'm going with you. I changed my mind. And God gets angry at Balaam because Balaam is not out to do the will of God. He's out to get money. He's out to get paid for prophesying. And so it is at that point that the angel of the Lord stands in the way and the, the flaming sword, and the donkey can see the, the angel and the donkey stops, and the donkey doesn't want to go, and Balaam beats on his donkey, and the donkey goes a little bit further, and, and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord again, and he stops, and he, runs, he, he takes and pushes Balaam up against the wall and hurts his foot. And so Balaam, he's ready to kill his donkey. And in the middle of that, this wasn't in the Bible. This would be hard to believe. It sounds like a fairy tale, right? This is in the Bible. God allows the donkey to speak. It says, why are you beating me? Have I ever done anything bad to you? And the donkey says, I'm trying to protect you. And then the Lord opens the eyes of Balaam and he sees this angel and he says, oh, I'm sorry, poor donkey. And he goes on his way. But once again, he gets, now when he gets to Balak, God speaks to him and says, all right, you weren't supposed to go, but now that you're here, you can only say what I'm telling you to say. And so he prophesies against Balak and he prophesies blessing for the people of Israel but he was prophesying not because his heart was aligned with God but he's prophesying and he wanted to prophesy because he was looking for money that he wanted the riches of the enemies of Israel to pay him and so he almost is destroyed because of his being out of alignment with God and what I would tell you is this, is that what you and I need to do is to make sure that our will is in alignment with the will of God. That our plans are aligned with His plans. And that we're not doing our will and we're not following our way. And in fact, I would tell you this, that when you come to Jesus, that's what it's all about. When you choose to follow Jesus, what you're choosing is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card, but you're choosing to follow Jesus Christ. You're choosing to go where he goes and, and go where he says to go and do what he says to do. And the Christian life then is all about that from then on. It is following 
the will of God. It is following the plan of God. But our hero, our, our anti-hero in the book of Jonah, he has his own agenda. He has his own plan. He comes into Nineveh and he preaches with hell, fire, and brimstone. That's a modern, more modern idea what he's saying is destruction is coming God's going to wipe you out he's going to take all this and he's going to kill you all and he's hoping the whole time that he does that that that's exactly what would happen now real hellfire and brimstone preaching in in the modern era is done so that people will want to come to God they'll want to repent but Jonah he doesn't want them to repent one of my professors in college and one of the greatest preachers I know he preached a message about the book of Jonah it was actually at my ordination service and his title was this the world's worst preacher and the world's greatest revival he talked about the fact that Jonah wanted all of these people to die and, and that's exactly what he wanted he wanted the Ninevites to die and Jonah displays the opposite attitude of Moses. Moses, when he's on the mountain and God comes to Moses, talked about this last week, God comes to Moses and he says, I'm going to kill all these people down in the valley that have made this, this golden calf. What does Moses do? He's like, God, if you kill them, you've got to kill me too. And he petitions with God, and we talked about what that means. But Jonah does the opposite of that. Jonah doesn't want the people to be spared. Jonah wants the people to die. He's upset, and he says to God, I knew you were going to do this. And I didn't want you to spare them. I didn't want you to save them. Therefore, I fled, and I went to Tarshish. I tried to go to Tarshish because you were going to make me look bad. I was going to preach a message, and the people... We're going to be spared. You were going to do the opposite of what you told me to say. And God asked Jonah a question. He says this, do you have good reason to be angry? He doesn't just say, do you have reason to be angry? He says, do you have good reason to be angry? And at this point, Jonah doesn't answer. He doesn't respond but it says that Jonah then leaves the city and he goes out and he sits on a hill and he's just hoping and praying that something bad will happen. And, and I, don't, I don't know the timing. The text doesn't give us the timing. But imagine this. It takes Jonah three days to walk across Nineveh and he's preaching this message of destruction. And he's, the first day, of course, I would assume day one, he says 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And, and it takes him three days to walk across preaching this message. And so maybe he's got now 37 days left. But he already knows God has changed his mind. So he builds himself a little bit of a booth on the side of the hill, builds a little shelter, and he sits out there, presumably for 37 days to watch and just hope that God will actually destroy them. The Bible doesn't give us that exact timing, so... Maybe it's at the end of the 40 days when he gets out there and he gives us some extra time, but he makes a place to watch the action. He wants to see God destroy these people. He's obviously not very good at shelter making because he's sitting out there in the wind and the sun and, and, and he's, he's getting bothered by this. And, and God decides to, 
grow a plant. That overnight, God just springs up a plant and give him shade and it's got broad, leafy bushes and leaves on it. And experts would tell you that it was probably a castor oil plant. It grows in that region and it's got the leaves that are broad. And Jonah's like, man, this is great. I got me a plant. I got me some shade. And then God sends a worm. And Jonah wakes up the next day, and the worm eats through the plant, and the plant withers and dies. And Jonah's all dismayed, and, and God, he doesn't do anything part way. I don't know if you've seen this in this story. The whole book, he doesn't do anything part way. I mean, I mean a great storm, prepares a fish, he does all of these things, he does it all well. And now he says, well, watch this. Now he has no shade, and he sends a scorching east wind. And that east wind in the Bible typically is a negative action. When God sends an east wind, it's usually not a good thing. But maybe in this case, it's just because Jonah is on the east side of the city and God creates this wind between the city and Jonah and just blowing in Jonah's face. And he's, he's experienced this scorching east wind. It's like the hair dryer's turned on. It's just blowing him in the face. And the sun comes down and it scorches him. And Jonah's pretty upset about all of this. And God asks him a second question. In fact, it's identical to the first one, but it is this. Do you have good reason to be angry about, this time, angry about the plant? And unlike the first time, Jonah answers this question that God asked him. And he says that he has every reason to be angry, and he should be so angry even unto death. That he had this plant, and God took this plant, and he should be angry enough unto death. And God re rebukes Jonah. And he says this, he said, you had compassion on something you had nothing to do with. You didn't plant this plant, you didn't grow this plant, you didn't water this plant. You had nothing to do with it, and yet you have compassion on the plant. And then God asked the third question of Jonah, and it is this that is the, the, the heartbeat of my point today. He said, should not I have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. It's a rhetorical question. God's not expecting Jonah to answer, but he said, you had compassion on this plant just because it had some benefit for you, but you didn't have anything to do with it. But I created, in essence is what he said, I created these 120,000 people. Should I not have compassion on them? That they're in such spiritual darkness, they don't even know their right hand from their left hand. It's not that they're dumb, it's not that they're not bright, but in, when it comes to spiritual things, they don't know their right hand from their left. They're ignorant of the things of God, they're ignorant of the things of the Spirit, they're ignorant of the things that really matter. And he said to top it all off, there's many animals there as well. And God said, I, 
as we talked about last week, I don't really want to destroy them. That's why I sent you in the first place, because I wanted to spare them. I wanted them to repent so that they could be spared. So what I would tell you is this, is that what this illustrates is our need for our hearts to be aligned with the heart of God. That as people of God, as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to put ourselves in alignment with His heart. That what He wants should be what we want. And what His will, it should be our will. That we should be in alignment with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what is then the heart of God? In the text, the word compassion is used and God says, should I not have compassion? We see that in the ministry of Jesus. That over and over, depending on which translation you use, some six to twelve times that word is used where it says Jesus was moved with compassion. That Jesus felt compassion. That Jesus had compassion. And in all of those cases, it is that Jesus is looking at the needs of the people around Him. He's looking at people that don't have food, or He's looking at people that are sick. And He says, I'm moved with compassion. I want to have compassion. And because of his compassion, he does something. He helps them. I hadn't planned on mention, mentioning this. and I, I, if, you, if you know me, you know my, my temperament, personality. I'm, to use the old language, I'm fairly choleric. Um, which means I'm task-oriented. Let's get the task done. And then the people sometimes, they get in the way of the task. Well, you know, they just kind of get ran over in the process and He's still working on me, though. I'm, I'm getting better. But at the same time that I have all of this, this task-oriented nature, and I, and I want to get the job done, I, I am easily moved to tears by various things that I see. When you tell me a sad story, man, I'll be crying with you. I'll hide it. I don't want you to know that. Watching some sad thing on a movie or document or whatever, man, I'll be wiping tears away, hiding my, hiding, so, you know, I don't want you to know that I would actually be sentimental, but, but I, I'm, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm compassionate, so don't get me wrong, I'm not bragging on myself, but I, but I'm frequently touched by things like that, and shortly before we left St. Louis, I was in an olive garden, and, and and this is probably only a tiny measure of what Jesus experienced. But I'm, I'm sitting in Olive Garden eating, eating lunch one day. And a family is there with a special needs child, handicapped, in a, in a wheelchair. And a variety of obviously health issues that were going on. And, and, and as I watched their interaction, the parents' interaction with this this child, I had to look away because I was almost moved to tears at the plight and the, the situation of, of that child and what the parents were going through as they tried to take care of this child that they loved. 
And, and maybe that's what Jesus experienced when he looked at people who were blind or lame or had all of these issues. But he would look at them and he was moved with compassion. And so because of that, he would heal them. He would take them out of their situation. But even beyond that, he is a God who touches and, and, and he does heal. He's a God who wants to make our lives frequently better as he shows us his love. The greatest thing that he did was to come to seek and to save the lost. That the ministry of Jesus was all about seeking and saving the lost. It wasn't just to heal people, otherwise he would have never went to the cross. He could have just kept healing people, but it was to come to seek and to save the lost. Which is why Paul in Acts 17 said he has commanded all men everywhere to repent. It's why Paul would write again, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is the will of God that people would be saved. It is the will of God not just that we have good lives and nice homes and nice cars, but it is the will of God that people would spend eternity with Him. And it's then, if we are getting our hearts in alignment with the heart of God, it should be our, our purpose and our mission to see people spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. To find people who need Jesus Christ so that they can spend eternity with Him. Jesus told a couple of different stories in His ministry. One of them was of a vineyard owner. He was looking for people to come in and work for Him. and He would bargain in the morning, he went out to the marketplace and he says, I'm looking for temporary laborers. And he says, if you come and work for me, at the end of the day, I'll give you a penny. A penny was a little bit worth a little bit more back then than it is today. He said, if you come and work, I'll give you a penny. And there's about 12 hours in the work day. So periodically throughout the day, he would look at, at what was getting accomplished. He was looking at at the crops and whether they're getting brought in or not and he said man we need more workers this is not going to get the job done he would go back to the marketplace and and he would look for people that weren't working and he said if you come and work for me at the end of the day I'll give you a penny he goes out again at the 11th hour it's almost the end of the day it's almost the end of of the work day and the work has got to get done he said I still need more labors and he goes out and he finds some more he said if you'll come work for me I'll give you a penny a day when the twelfth hour gets there he pays them all off and he gives all of them a penny the ones who work twelve hours they're upset you gave them a penny and they only worked one hour and we worked 12. And he says, that was our agreement that if you would work for me, I would give you a penny a day. And the point of the story is this, is that it doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ since you were a kid like I, I was. 
It doesn't matter if you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s and you come to Jesus Christ. Everybody gets the same payment. Everybody gets the same reward, and that is an eternity with Jesus Christ. That you can live with Him forever. Everybody that comes and works for the Master gets the same reward. And so while the time is short, our responsibility is is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the heartbeat of God, and it should be our heartbeat as well. It's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day life. It's easy to just get going through the motions. It's easy to work a job and make money, and, and then your existence becomes about just surviving the next day. But my challenge is this, that we need to... Get on mission with God, and the only way we're going to do that is if we get our hearts aligned with His heart, where His will becomes our will, and His plans become our plans. Jesus stood on the mountains outside of Jerusalem, and He looked at that city that He loved. And He used, in that agrarian society, He used in his prayer what many would recognize and he says Jerusalem Jerusalem how often would I have gathered you under my wings like a chick or a hen does her chicks but you would not that he cried and he wept over Jerusalem who he knew were going to reject him and he said I, I came for you. I came to give you eternal life. I came to bring you into the kingdom, but you didn't want to come. And I would tell you that that should be our cry as well. Our passion should be to see others receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and obey it and receive eternal life with Jesus Christ. As the musicians come, There are a couple of things in our text that I find concerning. And and that is, one of them is this, is that Jonah was more concerned with his reputation than he was with doing the will of God. He was more concerned, he, he said... He said, God, you're doing exactly what I knew you were going to do and you're making me look bad because you're saving these people after you told me to prophesy their destruction. I would tell you that we need to be less concerned with our reputation and more concerned with God's plan. You know, the number one, this is purely anecdotal, but I'll tell you for me, and I think it's true for most, that the primary reason people don't share the gospel with others, it's not because they don't believe it. It's not because they don't think people need it. It's because they're afraid of rejection. What are they going to think of me if I tell them that they need to come and find out about this Jesus that I'm serving what if they don't agree with me 
And we're just like Jonah, we're more concerned with our reputation and our feelings than we are over the people that Jesus Christ came to reach. His will should be our will, and His purpose should be our purpose. And we should love what He loves. And Jonah cared more about himself and that plant that gave him shade than he did about the 120,000 people and all of the animals in the city of Nineveh. Maybe Jerry Jones rightly said, the world's worst preacher, the world's greatest revival. So the question is, what are you going to do with what he has given to you? The Great Commission is not just a call to be disciples. It is a call to make disciples. It's not a call just to see how mature that you can be and that you are supposed to obey everything that Jesus said and got myself right. You're supposed to do that. But the primary purpose of the Great Commission isn't just go and be really awesome people, but it's to go and make disciples of all the nations. I referenced this time period in my life a few weeks ago and I was working for the Postal Service in Lee Summit and I prayed there seems to be a pattern when you're a teenager and maybe a young adult that especially if you've been raised in this that you go through a season where man you're really zealous and passionate for the things of God and unfortunately as people get older they lose some of that so I, I was in this this time of significant spiritual growth and I prayed for the, the fruit of the spirit I prayed for God to what I really wanted was him just to give me the fruit of the spirit I mean I didn't want to have to learn how to I didn't want to mature and, and just over time and over situations and pain and and I referenced that part but one of the things I prayed and, and I was driving I was driving through Lee Summit doing my mail route and I had prayed I said God let me feel what you feel and I don't even know that I had prayed it that day but I'm driving through and feeling this overwhelming burden and compassion for these people that I didn't even know. I'm just delivering their mail. I don't know them. I'm driving through nice neighborhoods. And, and as I felt all of that, I started weeping would probably be the right word as I was crying and tears pouring down my face and And because we have a God who is personal, I said, God, what is, what is this? 
And it wasn't an audible voice, but he answered and said, you asked to feel what I feel. And I can only imagine that that's what Jesus felt. And only in a small part, I'm sure I couldn't even handle even half of what he felt. But as he's overlooked the city of Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you like a hen does her chicks, but you would not. And I would just tell you this, that the heartbeat of God is for everybody you meet to find him. For everybody you meet to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel and to obey the gospel. That the will of God is for everybody you know and to come in contact with, that they would obey the gospel and follow Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through repentance and water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's, that's what he wants. The question is, is that what we want? So my prayer today is this, as you stand together. It's that you would know this, that God loves people. That you know that God loves you. In the same measure that He loves you, He loves all the people that you meet. And all the people in your family and all of your friends and all of your co-workers. That He loves them as much as He loves you and He wants them to find what you have found. He wants them to experience the saving message of Jesus Christ. So as they begin to sing, I w would you just pray that God would give you a love for the lost today. That He would give you a compassion for those who don't know the gospel that He would give you bur a, a burden, that He would give you boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we wouldn't be like Jonah, but we would align our hearts with God's heart, and that we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray that right now as they begin to sing? Jesus, we want to do Your will. We want to accomplish Your purpose today. We want to be everything that You've called us to be, Jesus.
anyway when we have political differences we share the gospel anyway when we love them we share the gospel when it's family and it may hurt a relationship for them to hear about Jesus but when we know that that's what they need we share the gospel anyway that we put his plan before our plan his desire before our desire we give ourselves away to him so that he can use us to accomplish his purpose father thank you for your goodness to us thank you for your salvation that we find only in Jesus Christ thank you Lord that in your grace and in your providence we heard the message of salvation some of us Lord were born into families that were in relationship with you that that knew the whole gospel and it wasn't our doing it wasn't because we were anything special but it was just by your grace some of us Lord we grew up in various other traditions and where the full gospel wasn't really explained or preached but through your grace, we were able to hear it. We were able to respond to it. We were able to follow it. Not because we're special, but just because you were at work in us. Lord, I pray that you use us who have found your truth to share it with all of those who still need to hear it is your plan of your kingdom, Lord, that 
people preach the gospel. Angels don't preach the gospel. Lord, you don't preach it. But you have chosen to work through those who are saved to preach the gospel to those who are lost. Help us to get on mission with your mission. To get our hearts in alignment with your heart. And Lord, in all of our growth and all of our maturing, you haven't called us just to reach a threshold of salvation, but you do want us to grow in our relationship with you and our knowledge of you. Don't let us focus so much on maturing in you that we forget the primary purpose of reaching others so that they too can experience an eternity with you. Give us a passion and a compassion, Lord, to see others saved, I pray. But go far beyond the words of this message and let your spirit and your word convict and strengthen and touch hearts and lives. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. We'll have them sing it through a couple more times. God bless you so much. Thank you for being here today. Greet one another in a proper COVID-19 environment, socially distancing and all of that. Coffee and donuts still in the foyer. Help yourself to that. Thank you again. Look forward to seeing you on Thursday night and again next Sunday.